You are listening to World Harvest Church's weekly podcast. WHC is a cross-cultural church with passion for reaching the lost and hurting. We are mission-minded and committed to raising up generations of mighty men and women of God. If you're in the Atlanta area, check us out on Sunday mornings at either 9 or 11.15 a.m. or on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. From wherever you're listening, we hope this week's message empowers you to grow and go. Hallelujah. Let's open our Bibles once again to Psalm 145, and uh, we'll read a couple of verses here, and then we'll move on to some new material that we didn't cover last night. We were talking about, in last night's service, experiencing the lavish favor of God, the extravagant favor of God, and I want to continue on that theme, and as I prepare to do so, let's look at Psalm 145 and look at verse 15. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Now, as I mentioned last night, when you see the phrase, the open hand of God, it is usually symbolic of supernatural, extraordinary, and unusual provision. There are other phrases in the Bible, such as the right hand of God, and that is usually symbolic of His sovereign, divine power. And so here, we're talking about supernatural provision. Now, the Lord said to me in October of 2021, as I was seeking Him as to uh, the message, the prophetic word that I was to emphasize and, and preach about throughout 2022. He said, tell the people that if they will not be moved by all the chaos and the disorder that is happening in the world around them, then I will open my hand and cause them to experience supernatural, extraordinary, and unusual provision. Amen. Amen. I thought you'd be a little more excited about that. <laughs> Hallelujah. And that's exactly what's been happening to me and ha happening to our ministry uh, ever since the Lord gave me that word. And I have been preaching it everywhere I've gone. I've preached it, first of all, in our own church. Usually, uh, right after I receive the word in October, then I take it to our church and I spend about three weeks uh, talking about that prophetic word. And then I take it uh, to the rest of the uh, nations that that I'm scheduled to be in. And we have seen all year long, supernatural, extraordinary, and unusual provision. It's been absolutely amazing. In fact, I hardly want to go to sleep at night. I don't want to miss anything, hallelujah. And, uh, and, and it's not just for me. God's no respecter of persons. But I'd, I would be amiss if I didn't say this to you that it's not going to happen to you just because you're a Christian. Amen. Let me try this side of the auditorium. <laughs> God wants it to happen to every Christian, but it doesn't happen just because you are a Christian. Now, the Bible talks a lot, particularly in the ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about disciples. And a disciple is a committed person. Uh, it's not just someone who said, Jesus is my Lord. Well, it should be that person, but not every person who has said, Jesus is my Lord, 
is committed. Committed to what he says. Amen. Followers of his teachings. Amen. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you'll ask whatever you will and it shall be done to you of my Father which is in heaven. So we're talking about people that are committed. And, and people that are committed are not likely to be moved by what's happening around them. That's one of the earmarks or characteristics of a true disciple. They're not moved by what's happening around them. The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, and you know, this man probably went through more adversity than you and I will ever go through. And yet he said to that group of people he was ministering to, even though the Holy Spirit had told him in advance that every city you go to, you can expect bonds and afflictions. Now, most preachers, if they'd been told that by the Holy Spirit in advance, they wouldn't even go. If the Lord had told me, when you get to Georgia, expect trouble. <laughs> well, would I have come to Georgia? Well, maybe not in the early days of my ministry before I learned these things, I'd have thought, man, I'm not going to Georgia. I'm going to New Mexico, praise God, you know, or someplace else. But God had said to Paul, everywhere you go, there will be bonds and afflictions. And then he said this, but none of these things move me. None of these things move me. That's what a true disciple is like. He's not moved. She's not moved by what's happening in the world around them. They're focused on what God said. They're focused on what God promised. And his promise to us is, if we will not be moved by all the chaos and all the disorder, and let me just let you in on this. I said, I heard the Lord say this to me uh, some months later, that uh, the chaos and the trouble that we're seeing and the confusion and all the things that are going on in our world today, and particularly our own nation, it's not likely to end this year. In fact, it may get worse. But even if it does, I'm not moved. Is anybody else able to say I'm not moved? Amen. I don't focus on CNN. I focus on it is written. Amen. This, this is what I rely upon. Now, if I ever find out, like, like A.W. Copeland, Brother Copeland's dad told me one time, he said, Jerry, if I woke up in the morning and I found out that God does not exist, heaven's not real, Jesus never came to the earth, died, and was raised again, I'd still live this way because it works. <laughs> Amen. I thought that was, a, I thought that was a, a brilliant statement. Well, uh, if I found out that, that God didn't exist, the word's not true, Jesus didn't come to the earth and die and was raised from the dead, since I've been living this way for 52 years now and it's been doing well for me, producing great things for me, I'm going to go on and keep on living this way, praise God. Amen. So I consider myself to be a disciple, someone who has allowed the word to abide in me richly, as Paul said in Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's a disciple. And a disciple is really... Uh, you, could, you could say it this way. The root word is discipline, a disciplined one. 
If you're a true disciple, you're a very disciplined person. Now, a lot of Christians don't like the word discipline. They mistake it for bondage. Boy, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> I said, they mistake discipline for bondage. But if you're going to live the life of faith, then you are going to have to become a disciplined person. Because you can't be moved by what you see. You can't be moved by what you feel. And you can't be moved by what you hear. You're only moved by what you believe and you believe the Word of God. Amen. Now, I, I'm, I'm not the one who came up with that phrase. It actually originated with Smith Wigglesworth. Amen. He used to say that in his meetings. Uh, with that boisterous voice of his. I wish I had a voice like Smith Wigglesworth. You wouldn't even have to have a microphone. And he'd say, I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I hear. I'm only moved by the Word of God. Hallelujah. And it worked for him. He raised the dead on several different continents. Amen. By not being moved. And, and particularly in the day and time in which we live, if you're easily moved, you're headed for some worse times. Because my friends, it's not going to get any better out there. It's going to get better in you. Amen. It's got to get better on the inside of you. Hallelujah. It's what's on the inside that counts the most. Amen. So with that in mind, once again, the Lord will open his hand and cause us to experience supernatural, unusual, and extraordinary provision. And somebody needed to say, I receive that, praise God. Yeah. All right, now, we also said last night that another translation here for verse 16 says, the Lord will open his hand and cause lavish favor to come upon all. Lavish favor. Everybody say lavish. lavish. Now we discovered that another word for lavish is extravagant, extravagant favor. And we learned that extravagant means uh, no limits, no boundaries. Hallelujah. I like the sound of that. I'm a no limits guy. Amen. I like having no limits, no boundaries. You know, don't tell me uh, that God can't do this. Just hide and watch. <laughs> I'm about to go for it, praise God. Amen. I remember uh, when I first came to the Lord back in 1969, I didn't know anything. I certainly didn't know anything about the life of faith. I mean, I, I, I was raised in a little country Baptist church down the road from our house. And uh, I remember, you know, John 3.16. Every, every, every kid knew John 3.16 in my neighborhood. And, and you know... We all went to that little Baptist church and pastor talked to us about John 3.16. The Sunday school teacher talked to us about John 3.16. Training union talked to us about John 3.16. Royal Rangers talked to us about John 3.16. Even vacation Bible school. My mama said, you're going to vacation Bible school. I said, mama, I don't want to go to vacation Bible school. And she said, why not? I said, I just don't want to go. I got other things I want to do. And my best friend, Kenny Hennard, he said, there's going to be girls and cookies. I said, I'm going. Because <laughs> I like cookies and I really like girls. Hallelujah. <laughs> <Amen. clears throat> 
And, uh, and, and, you know, and I heard John 3, 16 every day in vacation Bible school. And for somebody who did not want to go, I don't, I don't think you understand what a privilege you have tonight of being in my presence. You are looking at Mr. Vacation Bible School. <laughs> Amen. I won the title. <laughs> and I don't remember anything but John 3.16 that they said. <laughs> so, like Brother Copeland used to say, when he came to the Lord, he was scripturally illiterate. I was the same way. I didn't know anything. I certainly didn't know anything about the life of faith. But I was so hungry. I'd been running from God for so long. You've heard me say this before, and I'm just going to talk a, a short time on it. But I heard the call of God just before I turned 11 years old in 1957, watching Oral Roberts on television. And I heard the call of God. And that's not what I wanted to do. And uh, uh, I, in my little mind, I thought if I never tell anybody about this experience, then I won't have to do it. So I never, I never told anybody, not my mom, not my dad, nobody. And, uh, and, and I had already determined what I was going to do when I was nine years old. Now, my dad was in the automotive business. He was a paint and body man. He restored classic cars. He built hot rods and race cars. And he represented everything I wanted to do. And so my dad started teaching me all of that when I was nine years old painting body work and, and uh, rest restoration and all that. And I loved it. I, I, I wasn't, I didn't develop a passion for it. I was born with it. I, I really was. I was born with it. My dad said some of my first words were making noises like cars, you know. <laughs> and and I, 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 I was just always uh, wanting to be around automobiles, working on them, and particularly ones that rent fast. I am delivered from slow. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. And so uh, my ambition was to take everything my dad knew, his expertise, him teach it to me, and then go a step further than he did. Dad always wanted to own his own business, but he never was quite able to, to take that leap, so to speak. But I owned my own automotive business by the time I was 21 years old. And I was living my dream. And nobody knew about this experience I'd had at 10 years old. I, I never told a soul. And, uh, and then <laughs> I married this Pentecostal girl. <laughs> and I'd never heard of Pentecost. I didn't know what a Pentecostal was. And uh, she proceeded to inform me of what a Pentecostal was. And like to drove me up the wall praying for me. And I'd never told her about being called to preach. She didn't know that. I wasn't about to tell her that. That would have been leverage, <laughs> you know. And so, but she knew it in her heart. And she told me the night before our wedding. She said, no, Jerry, I just want you to know, I made a pledge to God when I was eight years old, when I gave my life to Christ and was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I made a pledge to God that the man I marry will be born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, preach the gospel, and go to Africa. She told me that the night before our wedding. I said, Carolyn, you're marrying the wrong man. I'm not doing any of that. She said, oh, yes, you are. I said, no, I'm not. 
I said, if you marry me, you're going to spend the rest of your life on a racetrack. I'm going to race automobiles. She said, you don't know the power of intercessory prayer. I said, I never even heard of it. She said, well, that doesn't matter. All you got to do is go in there tomorrow night when the preacher says, do you take this woman? All you got to do is say, I do, and me and God will take care of the rest. Well, I knew I loved her. I knew I wanted to marry her, but I thought I can change her. So for the next three years, I pursued my dream and, and I wound up owning my own business. And dad and I were hauling race cars all over the southern part of the United States uh, as far as up to Mississippi and Texas and, and uh, Arkansas and so forth. And, and I'm living my dream. Now I'm doing paint and body work. I'm building hot rods. I'm racing automobiles. I'm restoring classic cars. I'm living my dream. And then Kenneth Copeland comes to town. <laughs> and Carolyn begged me to go every service. He was there for a week, three services a day in the church she grew up in. And I wouldn't go. And so the last night she begged me to go. She said, this is his last night. And I promise you, if you don't like this preacher, I'll never ask you to go to a meeting with me again. I said, now that's the deal I've been waiting for. <laughs> you promise I'll never have to go again if, if I don't like him? She said, I'll never ask you to go again. And, and she told me later, she said, the reason she said that is because she realized that she had carried the care of this for three years. And she said, God, if he's ever going to preach the gospel, I cast the care of that over in you. And I'm through talking to him about it. I'm through begging him to go to church. I'm through, you know, trying to talk him into, uh, uh, you know, getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and so forth. And so I said, okay, I'm going. And, and, I, and I told her this. I said, in the moment I don't like him, I'm going to get up and leave and you can get home the best way you can. <clears throat> she said, well, that's fine because I got lots of friends. They'll bring me home. And so I said, we're going to sit on the back row as close to the door as we can get. And the moment I don't like him, I'm going to get up and walk out. She said, if that's what it takes to get you there, then that's fine. So we went. I'm sitting on the back row. There were several people on the platform. Uh, I, I knew who her pastor was. I'd, I'd gone to the church a few times, but, but never made a commitment to it. Just to keep peace in the home is what it would amount to. And I knew Pastor Jack Moore, her pastor. And, uh, but I didn't know who this Kenneth Copeland was and never seen him before in my life. But there were several people on the platform. And I said, now which one is this Kenneth Copeland? She pointed him out. And uh, I said, well, where's his wife? She said, why do you want to know that for? I said, well, all these preachers you've drugged me into here, they come out looking like they stepped out of a fashion magazine. That's the ugliest woman they're married to I've ever seen in my life. Don't they believe in makeup? And I found out in this Pentecostal church, no, they didn't, you know. <laughs> and Carolyn wore just a little bit, you know, just a little bit for my benefit, you know. And, and, and I said, well, I want to see his wife. And she said, well, she's setting up about four rows in front of us. And she had two little children then, John and Kelly. And that's where she was sitting in the back. But I thought she didn't want to hear him either. You know, because she's sitting in the back, you know. That was my own interpretation of that, you know. 
And so finally they turned the service over to Kenneth Copeland. <laughs> and he was like nobody I'd ever heard before. I'd never seen a preacher who was so matter of fact. And, and, and he just preached like I'd never heard before. And he got my attention. And I, and I stayed the whole service. And when he got through, I'll never forget this as long as I live. He took his Bible, took his notebook, walked out of there like John Wayne and said, if you believe it, it'll work. If you don't, it won't. Good night. I'm out of here. <laughs> I thought, where's this guy been all my life? And when I got home that night, I could not sleep. And I got up, went to my living room, three o'clock in the morning, lifted my hands. I said, God, I can't run anymore. I'll surrender to you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll shut my business down. I'll preach the gospel, whatever you want me to do. <clears throat> and I received my salvation that morning, was baptized in the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues. It was glorious. And when Carolyn came in there, uh, or when I stopped, I, I did that for nearly three hours. And when I stopped, I turned, I saw Carolyn and her mother sitting in the living room. And I turned to her and I said, guess what happened to me? She said, we know. <laughs> I said, well, how long have you been sitting here? She said, since about 3.30 this morning. She said, I noticed you weren't in bed and I heard all this noise in the living room. I got up and when I saw what happened, I called mom and said, mama, you got to come see what's happened to Jerry. Because <laughs> not only my wife preached to me all the time, my mother was her preaching partner. They ganged up on me all the time. So I walked over to Carolyn. <clears throat> I kissed her. I said, forgive me for being so hard-headed. And I promise you from this day forward, I'm going to be the husband you've always wanted me to be. I'll be the father you want me to be to my children. Then I walked over to my mother-in-law and I kissed her right on the lips and told her I loved her. And that's when I knew my experience was real. Because I ain't never kissed my mother-in-law on the lips. And I don't think I'd ever told her I loved her. But I knew I was born again. Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, from that moment, I couldn't get enough of the Word of God. And that's been my life for 53 years now, praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, as I said last night, one of the first things the Lord began to teach me was how to walk in His favor. And I'd never heard of that. I'd never heard anybody talk about it. I didn't know there was such a thing. Favor of God? How could anybody have favor with God? What would you have to do? What would you have to become to have favor with God? I thought, man, you'd have to be so perfect. And, and I'm certainly not that way, and I don't know that I'd ever get that way. But then I realized that that's not the requirement. Being perfect is not the requirement. Amen. The requirement is being born again. Amen. The moment you get born again, the Bible says that God bestowed his blessing upon you. Not only that, but his favor comes with his blessing. They're inseparable. When you 
made Jesus the Lord of your life, the Bible teaches us that God bestowed his favor on you just like he did Abraham. In fact, the Bible says from Paul's teachings in Galatians 3, that when you're born again, you're now the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. And you're entitled to walk in the same blessing that Abraham walked in. And if you look in the Amplified Bible, where God says this to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, he says, I will bless thee, the Amplified Bible says, and I will give you an abundant increase of favor. So you can't separate the blessing from favor. They're inseparable. If you have the blessing, you have the favor of God on you. You can earn it. In fact, many times in the Amplified Bible, when you see the word grace in the King James, the Amplified Bible will translate it unmerited favor, meaning you can't earn it. You can't get good enough to earn it. You can't be a good enough Christian to get it. You receive it when you're born again. Now, you can have it and never walk in it. And the Bible says the reason being is God's people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. A lot of Christians to this day don't know that they have the blessing of God on their life and they have the favor of God. In fact, you can hear it in their prayers. Lord, bless me. You're asking him to do something he's already done. Okay, let's try this out of the auditorium now. I don't pray that. I don't pray, Lord, bless me. Why would I pray for God to do something that his word says he's already done? Amen. I am blessed and I am favored by God. So I receive it, I accept it, and I walk in it, praise God. I expect it. Amen. And you know, uh, a lot of people, a lot of Christians today, they, they still don't know that they have the blessing of God on their life. I like to say it this way. I walked in here with it. I'm going to preach with it. I'm going to go back to my hotel with it. I'm going to go to bed with it, and I'm going to wake up in the morning with it on me. Hallelujah. And I, I expect it to manifest in my life every day of my life in some way. Hallelujah. So we're talking about God lavishing his favor on us and us experiencing extravagant favor, meaning taking it to another level, taking it to another level. I like going to another level. How about you? Amen. 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 You know, uh, I, I learned a long time ago that if you break a barrier, then there's always another level. And you break that barrier, then there's always another level. I remember years ago, Carolyn and I and our daughters, they were young, and uh, I was preaching all over Southern California. And one night I was in Torrance, California, and a man came to my meeting, and after uh, he and his family, after the service, he asked me, uh, it was my last night there, he said, are you going to be in town tomorrow? I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, would you and your family consider having lunch with my family, uh, me and my family? I said, well, yeah, we, we have no plans to leave. We were going to stick around another day or so and just, you know, go do some sightseeing or something. And uh, so he said, well, I'll come by and pick you up tomorrow at about 1130. And we'd like to take you and your family to lunch. So 
you know, uh, I always like being early. So we're out there at about 11 o'clock standing out in front of the hotel. And uh, uh, there was a big, beautiful Mercedes come around there. It was a circle drive in front of this hotel. Beautiful Mercedes come by. And I recognized his wife in that with her children. And she got out and said to my wife, Carolyn, uh, you'll be riding with us. And Brother Jerry, uh, my husband is going to, he's on his way and he's going to pick you up and bring you in his car. I said, okay, fine. So Carolyn got in the car with them and they went on toward the restaurant. And then in a little while, here comes a 1927 Rolls Royce. Rolls Royce. Silver Ghost. Now I'd heard about them, but I'd never seen one up close. And I certainly had never ridden in one. And here it comes and he's driving it. And he gets out and said, Brother Jerry, uh, come on, we're going to go in this today and we'll meet my wife and your wife and children at the restaurant. So we, I got in it and we're driving down the freeway. Now we're in Anaheim, but we're driving down the freeway going toward uh, 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 what's the name of that beautiful place out there? Uh, where uh, Fashion Island is and all that. No, that's, that's near Anaheim, Anaheim, but come on, you know where it is. <laughs> Real ritzy area. Newport Beach. Thank you very much. Joe will share his offering with you. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> Newport Beach. Okay. If you ever wanted to live somewhere in California, Newport Beach would be an ideal place, you know. And we'd, we'd been around that area before, but never really into where, you know, all the residents are, but we'd seen it from a distance. And so he said, we're going to Newport Beach as a restaurant out on the water that we're going to take you to. So I'm in this Rolls Royce, okay? And on the way, he points out over here, now I own that building, big old, big, big, tall office complex. I own that building. And we drive a little further and he said, and I just finished building that building. And we drove a little further. He said, I just bought this piece of property. I'm gonna build office complex there. And we drove a little further and he said, and uh, I just sold this piece of property and all the way down that freeway, he's telling me all this property he either owned or sold or just bought. Okay, and then we get to this restaurant and it's out on the water and we're sitting there and the menu, there's things on this menu I don't even know how to pronounce. <laughs> now I'm a country boy. I was born on a farm in Mississippi and when you're born in Mississippi, it's two syllables, Mississippi. <laughs> Yankees call it Mississippi, okay? But it's Mississippi. And I was born on a farm in Mississippi. I grew up in Louisiana, and now I live in Texas. So I'm still Southern to the core. And I'm looking at this menu, and there's stuff on here I never heard of. And some of it I can't even pronounce. And he looks at me with this puzzled look, and he said, may I order for you and your family? Uh, yes, that's exactly what we were thinking. You know. So they ordered stuff I never heard. They brought out stuff, seafood and stuff. I didn't, have, I didn't have a clue what I was eating. 
Well, sure, it, it sure was good though. And we talked for a while. And then he said, may I take you to my office? I said, sure. So he took us to his office, beautiful complex. We get out of the car, we go into the building and we go into his personal office. The doors are about 16 feet high. Everything in his office was, had been imported from Italy. Now, I'm just standing there looking and I felt the spirit of Gomer Powell come on me. <laughs> I wanted to say, Shazam, look at yonder, Carolyn, you know, Zow we, you know. And I, I suppressed it and just tried to stay just as dignified as I could and not let the country come out, you know. But I was impressed. I'd never seen prosperity like that at that level. And so we had a wonderful time and, and we later became friends. And uh, uh, we visited with each other many times over, over the next several years. And uh, when I got back home, I asked the Lord, I said, what was that all about? What, what, what was that? What was the purpose in you arranging for us to do that? He said, son, I wanted you to see that no matter what level you get to, there's always a higher level. There's always another level. Amen. So no matter where you are right now, there's another level. No matter how much favor you've already experienced, there's another level. No matter how much prosperity you're enjoying right now, there's always another level. And, and God does not want us. Now, a lot of people don't understand this, but I'm going to say it anyway. God does not want us getting into a comfort zone. Because when you get into a comfort zone, then you stop using your faith. Amen. You stop using your faith. And the Bible says the just shall live by faith. The, the, another translation says the just shall have their lives sustained by their faith. So we don't live for, by faith for just a season. We live by faith all of our lives. Amen. But if you get into a comfort zone and you say, well, I'm satisfied with right here and where I'm at, you know, and us four no more. Uh, that, I believe, grieves the Holy Spirit. Amen. Because he, He's always wanting us to stretch. Always wanting us to expand. Go to new levels. Hallelujah. And that's what we're talking about in this series of meetings is, is going to another level. I've experienced the favor of God on my life all these years I've been serving the Lord. And if I, if I told you all the examples of the favor of God I'd experienced, we, we wouldn't finish this meeting in a year's time. We'd be here every night. Because it happens all the time. Amen. People that know me well, travel with me, they, they know it, they see it. And, and as I said last night, and I'm not trying to be braggadocious, but I'm known all over the world for the favor of God that's on my life and ministry. Amen. And I'm held responsible for teaching other people how to walk in it as I do because it's not, I'm not an isolated case. God wants it happening to every member of his family. Can you say amen? Look at your neighbor and say, now that's me he's talking about. Praise God. Hallelujah. So now... 
Let's go to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. I'm through with my introduction. I'm ready to preach. <laughs> Psalm 90, and let's look at verse 17. Now, I'm going to read it from the King James, then I'm going to read it from the New International Version. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands. Uh, let me break, go back up. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Now, let me read this from the New International Version. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, the New Living Translation adds this, and make our efforts successful. And make our efforts successful. So notice here how the favor of God on your life will cause your efforts to be successful. Hallelujah. Do you realize that all of you that are born again, and I'm assuming everybody in here is, do you have any idea that you have something on you that the rest of the world does not have? You have an advantage. Now it's available to all. Jesus died for everybody. Not everybody's received him, but it's available to everybody, but you know as well as I do, there's still a worldly, ungodly, unholy masses of people still out there, but you have something on you that they don't have. It's called the blessing of God. It's called the favor of God. And according to this verse, when you have the favor of God on your life, he causes your efforts to be successful. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a shout if you believe that, praise God. That's the reason why I, I don't expect to fail. I don't expect to fail. Now, I'm, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I've never had the opportunities to fail. I have, just like everybody else. And of course, back before I learned these things, uh, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do. And, and if, if failure looked inevitable, then I just kind of went with the flow. But once I learned that the favor of God makes all the difference in my life, then failure is no longer acceptable. Amen. Amen. Notice the psalmist recognized that when you have the favor of God on your life, then you will, he will cause your efforts to be successful. Now, how many of you in the year tonight want your efforts to be successful? Yes. Now, Moses often prayed this prayer for the children of Israel, that God would bless the work of their hands. You see that phrase quite often in the Old Testament. In fact, it's very characteristic of the book of Deuteronomy. There are seven different times that that phrase, the work of our hands, mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy. Let me just give them to you real quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 14, 29. 
that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand. Deuteronomy 16, 15, the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thine increase and in all the works of thy hands. Therefore, thou shalt surely rejoice. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the works of thine hands. Deuteronomy 28, 12, which this is listed under one of the blessings of, the, of Abraham. And we are heirs according to the promise, according to Galatians chapter three. So one of the blessings is the Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season and to bless all the work of thy hand. That's one of your covenant rights. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse nine, and the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thine hand. Deuteronomy 12, verse 18, in all that thou puttest thine hand unto, God will bless it. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 11, let his hands be sufficient for him and be thou a help to him. And the word sufficient here means adequate or competent for accomplishment. So notice seven different times in the book of Deuteronomy alone, the prayer of Moses for God's people was that he would bless the work of their hand. And here in the Psalm that we just read, Psalm 90, it reveals to us that the way God does that is by bestowing his favor upon you because favor can do what nothing else can do. Hallelujah. Favor can make things happen that you can happen on your own, make happen on your own. Praise God. You, you should embrace the idea. I mean, be grateful for it every moment of your life. I have the favor of God. Hallelujah. I have the favor of God. Say that with me. I have the favor of God. Praise God. That means you can be successful when others aren't. Hallelujah. If you learn to depend upon it. Amen. Now, Moses in these seven different prayers uh, uh, for the people talking about God blessing the work of their hands. He's referring to all their undertakings all their lives, not just from time to time. He, he's referring to everything they do, all their undertakings, all of their lives. And he's quick to recognize that it will take the favor of God to make this happen. The idea and I'm, I'm reading from some notes that I wrote today. The idea behind the prayer of Psalm 9017 was because of all the chaos that was taking place in their day, many began to think, what's the use of me doing anything? I might as well just sit here and do nothing because it looks like everything I do is not successful, not fruitful. And that's how a lot of God's people are thinking today. With all the chaos that's going on in the world today, well, what, what does it matter? Seem like everything I do, nothing works for me. I know it works for Brother Jerry. I know it works for Brother Copeland. I know it works for Brother Jesse. I know it works for Pastor, but who am I? That's stinking thinking. <laughs> Amen. That's all I got to say about that. Hallelujah. But that's how a lot of God's people are thinking today. 
And I'm convinced if you're thinking that way, then you don't have a revelation of the favor of God that's available to you. <clears throat> if you had a revelation of the favor of God that's on your life, then you would rise up even in the midst of all the chaos and all the disorder and all the trouble that's happening around you and say, boldly say, remember last night, uh, I believe, therefore I say, if you believe something, you're going to talk it. <laughs> I said, if you believe it, you're going to talk it. Amen. And if you truly believe that the favor of God is on your life, then get up off of your backside, stand up and boldly declare, I have the favor of God. I will not fail. In the name of Jesus, God blesses the work of my hands. He blesses all my endeavors. He blesses all my undertakings. Hallelujah. And I do not intend to fail. Failure is unacceptable. Look at your neighbor and tell them failure is unacceptable. <clears throat> now, once again, <clears throat> people mistake this kind of talk as being egotistical, prideful. No, it's not. If the Apostle Paul was standing here right now tonight preaching, saying some of the things that he wrote in his letters, some people would get up and walk out and say, that's the most egotistical man I ever met in my life. It wasn't ego. It wasn't pride. It was confidence. Confidence in God and confidence in His Word. Amen. You know, that, that's the way you become when, when the Word is dwelling richly in you. Hallelujah. And you know, let them, let them talk about me. Let them write ugly books about me. I could care less. I'm not moved by that. I had the Lord say to me one time, He said, son, I'd like to do more for you, but I can't. You're preventing me from doing it. I said, Lord, how am I preventing you from doing it? He said, you want everybody to love you and you want everybody to speak well of you. I said, well, what's wrong with that? He said, well, son, I was perfect and they didn't all love me. And then he added this, and what makes you better than me? I said, I stand corrected. Let them say what they want to say. It's like water off a duck's back. Amen. And I'm going to rejoice all the way to the bank. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. Everybody still here? Yes. Are you receiving this? Yes. Hallelujah. Okay. The favor of God upon your life will cause your efforts to succeed. Things will begin to change. Hallelujah. For your good. Now, I was awakened this morning at, at 4.30. I could not go back to sleep. And I received something from the Lord that I want to share with you right now at this point. He said this, and it's not just for me, even though he said you, but it's for the body of Christ. It's for everybody in here that will receive it. He said, you are about to enter into a new realm of supernatural favor. And because of it, I will turn what your adversary meant for bad into something good. Yes. 
supernatural intervention is headed your way. And I am going to make some things happen for you that you aren't capable of making happen for yourself. I'll say it again. New doors are about to open for you that will bring about new opportunities for you to prosper. Divine appointments are being arranged for you that are designed to assist you in going to a higher level where the quality of your life is concerned. Yes, your set time has come. So rejoice in the Lord your God and forever praise his name. And never forget that I am not going to allow you to fail. Your future is in my hands and therefore your future is bright. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a shout over that. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Are these services being recorded? Okay, so I would suggest you get a copy of it or download it however they do and, and type that word out and keep it before you, praise God. That's what I do. I keep it before me. That's reading. As soon as I get home, all this handwritten stuff will be typed by my secretary and it goes in this notebook and I carry it everywhere I go. Not only that, but every staff member gets a copy of it. People in our church, if they desire, they get a copy of it. I want everybody on the same page and we're all going in the same direction. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. So the favor of God resting upon you will cause your efforts to succeed and things will begin to change for the good in your life. It's never the will of God for you to fail. Never the will of God for you to fail. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. The message translation says, I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future that you hope for. Amen. Hallelujah. Anybody in here hoping for a, a wonderful future? I don't think anybody here just sits around and says, I'm, I'm planning to fail. I'm well, there might be somebody, but bless their heart. But most people, they don't plan to lose everything they got. They don't plan to fail. They don't plan to be miserable the rest of their lives. God says here that he knows his thoughts toward us and their thoughts of good and not evil. And he goes on to say from the message translation, I will not abandon you and I plan to give you the future that you have hoped for. So I like to say after I read that and I do it every time I do stand up and say, my future is bright. My future is bright. Hallelujah. Come on, say it with me. My future is bright. Look at somebody and tell them, and your future is bright. Hallelujah. Amen. And the reason being is because we have the favor of God on our lives. The favor of God on our lives. Amen. When you know that God's favor is on your life, then you are able to carry out his plans and to accomplish his purposes for your life. Another translation uh, says in uh, uh, Psalm 90 about uh, where we talked about the blessing the work of our hands, make our efforts uh, successful. Another translation says, 
that he will cause his favor to be on our enterprises. His favor to be on our enterprises. And another word for enterprises is ventures, business ventures. Anybody have a business in here? How would you like your business ventures to have the favor of God on them? Amen. Another, another word for uh, enterprises, not only business ventures, but undertakings. Undertakings. Everything you do, God wants it to prosper. And the reason being is not just so it makes your life better, but it makes Him look good. Amen. He, he, wants, he wants people saying, like they said in Psalm 126, the heathen was saying this about God's people. The Lord has been good to them. The Lord has done great things for them. That's what God wants people that see you and, and observe your life saying. God's been good to him. Amen. God's done great things for him. Hallelujah. Praise God. And when they see it happening, then your life becomes an evangelistic tool. People are attracted to success. Amen. People are attracted to success. Anybody like being around successful people? Amen. My, my closest friends are not failures. Amen. My closest friends are winners. That's the reason I loved uh, being with my, I called him my spiritual grandfather. Brother Copeland's my spiritual father. And Brother Hagen was another spiritual father, and T.L. Osborne was a spiritual father. But I, I used to refer to Brother Roberts, Oral Roberts, as my spiritual grandfather. Now, I'm actually older than his youngest son, Richard. Richard and I are very close. But I always looked at Brother Roberts as my spiritual grandfather. And when he and Evelyn would come and stay in our home, and, or we'd be with them, and, and uh, I'd travel with him, I served on his board for over 20 years. I love being around Brother Roberts because he always uh, lifted me. He, he always challenged me to go to another level. He had a plaque on his desk in his office. No little, no little plans made here. I have a copy of that plaque in my office. No, no small plans made here. He, 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 if you talk small around Oral Roberts, he just turn around and walk off and leave you by yourself. How do I know? He did that to me one time. Amen. Have you heard my story about him going to Kenya with me? You have? Well, not everybody's heard it, so I'm going to tell it. Hallelujah. <laughs> I got a call from Brother Roberts one time, and he said, I hear you're going to Kenya. In, in a, it's coming up a trip, you're going to Kenya. I said, yes, sir, I'm, I'm building a medical facility over there and I'm, I'm going to meet with President Daniel Moy and ask him for the land to build it on and then once we build it, we're going to dedicate it to the nation. He said, I'd like to go with you. I said, well, Brother Roberts, I wish you'd have told me earlier, uh, my schedule is full. I won't be able to spend any time with you. I said, as soon as I land in Nairobi, I'm going to the, to the, to the State House, which is equivalent to the White House, and meet with President Moy and, and ask him for this land and show him the plans that, that we have to build this medical facility. And then as soon as I get through there, 
I've chartered an airplane and we're flying to Cuckamega. And that night I start an open air crusade. And the next morning and the rest of the week, I have uh, pastor's seminars. And in the afternoon, I'm breaking ground for new churches. And later that afternoon, I'm dedicating the churches we just finished building. And then that night, I'll be back in open air crusades. And that's my schedule for the whole week. Would you consider going the next time I go? And Brother Robert said, would, would you at least pray and see if it'd be okay if I went? <laughs> I said, well, who am I to tell old Roberts no? <laughs> I said, okay, Brother Roberts, if you want to go, uh, can you and Evelyn come uh, and, and stay in our home? And then you and I'll go out to DFW and, and fly to Nairobi. He said, we'll be there. And so we arranged for him to fly with us. And so in it's there's a lot of stories in between this, but I don't have time to tell it all. And some of them are hilarious. I got time for one. <laughs> Brother Roberts had this fedora hat that looked just like the one that Tom Landry, Coach Tom Landry used to wear with the Dallas Cowboys on the sideline. Anybody remember Tom Landry? Remember that fedora hat? Oral Roberts had one just like it. It was his favorite hat. And he brought it. And Evelyn told me before we went to the airport that morning, she said, now, Jerry, Oral is like a kid. You have to watch him all the time. <laughs> he just wanders off. <laughs> and you got to watch that hat because he'll leave it sitting somewhere and walk off and forget it that he left it. So make sure you take care of that hat. That's his favorite hat. I said, okay, Evelyn, I'll do it. So we get out to DFW and we first fly to JFK and then we have a, a flight to G, uh, uh, London and then the next flight's into Nairobi, Kenya. So we're in JFK. Now JFK is a busy airport. This is way before 9-11, okay? So I said, Brother Roberts, you sit right here. And I, I felt real strange about you know, me telling Oral Roberts, sit down and don't move, you know. <laughs> Evelyn warned me about you. So I said, oh, Brother Roberts, I, knew, I never called him Oral. I said, Brother Roberts, you sit right here and I'm going to go right there and get our boarding passes, okay? Just stay right here, okay? <laughs> he nodded his head, Yes. So I got in line to get boarding pack, but all the time I'm looking back, making sure he hasn't left. So now it's my time and I'm getting the boarding passes. And when I get through, I turn around and Oral Roberts is gone and his hat sitting on the chair next to him. And we've got about 15 minutes until boarding time. And I have no idea where Oral Roberts is in JFK airport but his hat's right there. So I got his hat and then I'm, I'm walking down this way and trying to see, you know, he's, he's a tall man. So I thought well, it'd be easy to see him because he stands head and shoulders above most people, but I couldn't see him. I turned back and I went this way and I couldn't see him. I thought, where's old Roberts? And now we got five minutes to board. And I saw a, a door leading downstairs to the basement. I thought, well, surely he didn't go in there. But I went anyway, and I went down there, and I went down the stairs, and I looked, and old Roberts standing at the end of the hall. I said, Brother Roberts, what are you doing? He said, I'm trying to find the bathroom. 
I said, well, you don't have time now. You're just going to have to hold it. We, we, the, the plane's about to leave. Come on. <laughs> I thought, dear God, I can't believe I'm talking to old Roberts this way. You know? I said, come on. You don't have time. You can, you can use the bathroom when we get on the plane. Come on. And I, I've got his hat by my side. He hadn't seen, he hadn't even mentioned the hat. He hadn't even missed the hat yet. Okay. So we get on the plane and he wants to sit by the window. I'm sitting by the aisle. And as he's getting on, I put our luggage above and I put his hat on top of my briefcase. And, and he said, I got to go to the bathroom. I said, you can't go right now. People are still boarding and you're just going to have to wait until the pilot says we've reached our cruising altitude and you may walk about the cabin. So hold on. It's okay. Never asked about the hat. So finally the pilot come on and said, you can get up and walk about the cabin. So I got up and said, Brother Robert, you can go to the toilet now. So he went to the, to the toilet on the airplane. While he's in the toilet, I got up and put his hat on. And I'm sitting there with his hat. He comes back and looks at me and he says, I have a hat just like that. I said, it's yours. He said, where did you get it? I said, you left it at JFK. Evelyn warned me about you. So this hat stays with me while you're in Kenya, you understand? Because I don't want to be in trouble with Evelyn when I get home. <laughs> but anyway, and it got funnier as the week went on, okay? But anyway, we get to Nairobi. And I said to Brother Roberts, I've got to go meet with the president. Now, we've been flying all this time. I mean, you know, we're tired. We're ready to go to bed, but I can't go to bed. I got to go to Kakamega and start a crusade that night after I leave the president. I said, now, Brother Roberts, you can stay here uh, at the Hilton Hotel downtown Nairobi. I'll assign some of our people over here to stay with you. And when I get back from meeting with the president, then we're going to go to the airport. We've got an airplane charter to fly us to Kakamega. I said, now, do you want to stay here or do you want to go with me? He said, I want to go with you. I said, okay. So we, we go and we meet with these government officials. The president had an emergency meeting and he left the vice president in charge and some of his cabinet members. So they, they've got, and they didn't know Oral Roberts was coming with me. So we're at a table and brother, I'm sitting in the middle, brother Roberts sitting to my right and across to me is another table and the vice president and all these cabinet members are sitting there. I set up my plans uh, and drawings to show them what I want to build and, and tell them what my plans are for it and to ask them for land to build it on. And I said, it's going to provide jobs for your people. It'll provide uh, uh, medical facilities for your people uh, and it'll provide internship for people so that you don't have to send them to Europe to get training uh, Brother Roberts is going to send doctors and nurses that are graduates from ORU here to work in this medical facility. And so anyway, and I asked him for a, an amount of land. Now, while I'm talking to the president or the vice president, Brother Roberts is sitting next to me writing on a piece of paper, wadding it up and throwing it in the floor. And then he gets another piece of paper and he writes it and wads it up and throws it in the floor. Now I'm seeing this out of the corner of my eye. And I'm thinking, this is rude. 
Not only that, we're in a, we're in a foreign country. You don't do this with dignitaries. And I'm having visions of a dungeon and nobody will ever hear from us again. And I won't come home with Oral's hat, you know? So, and I'm, I'm wondering, what is he doing? And he does this three or four times and throws it off in the floor. And finally, while I'm talking, he hits me on the arm and puts this sheet of paper right in front of my face and says, read this. I said, Brother Roberts, I'm talking to the vice president. Can this wait? He said, no, it can't. I said, why can't it wait? We'll be through here in just a minute. He said, it's important. Read it now. I said, sir, excuse me. Brother Roberts wants me to read something. I'll read it and then I'll get right back with you. I said, Brother Roberts, I don't have a clue what this says. <laughs> now, I have in my archives tons of letters, handwritten letters from Oral Roberts to me over a 20-year period. And on his best day, he does not write well. You have to pray in the spirit and get the interpretation of what he's saying. Okay. And he puts this piece of paper in front of me and says, read this. I said, Brother Robert, I don't know what it says. You read it to me. He hits me on, the, and I start talking to the vice president. He hits me on the arm again. I said, read this. I said, sir, excuse me. He insists that I read this. I'll be right back with you. Brother Roberts, I don't know what it says. Would you please read it to me so I can finish this meeting? We got to go to Cuckamaga. He says, that's Oral Roberts spelled backwards. I said, this is what you've been working on the last 45 minutes? Oral Roberts spelled backwards? And this is important? You interrupted me for this? I said, why did you spend all this time writing Oral Roberts backwards? Are we boring you? He said, you bore me, he bores me, everybody in this room bores me. I said, why are we boring you? Because everybody in this room thinks too small. He said, now you tell him. We can't build that facility on this amount of land. Now, it's not Oral Roberts' project, it's mine, but suddenly we can't build this? I'm the one paying for this. He, he said, you tell him, we can't build this facility on that amount of land. We need 10 times that amount. I said, I feel led of the Lord for you to tell him that. He said, we need 10 times that amount of land. That's too small. Everybody in here is thinking small. And the vice president, no problem, Dr. Roberts. We'll give you whatever you need. And then he looked at me and pointed his finger at me and said, don't you ever think small in my presence again. <laughs> I still have that sheet of paper in my archives with Oral Roberts written backwards on it. And when somebody on my staff starts talking small to me, I write Jerry Savelle backwards and give him the paper. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. 
Thank God for men like that. Amen. Big thinkers, big doers. Hallelujah. And sometimes most of the body of Christ thinks, well, we, we don't want to break God. You can't break God. The Bible says he will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Don't you remember Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare one for thee. Religious minded people read it like this. In my father's house are many shacks. I go to repair one for thee. No, it's not what he says. God's not hurting at all. He could come in here tonight and dump wealth on everyone in this building and it wouldn't even touch his, his reserves. Hallelujah. Amen. So don't be concerned about breaking heaven. Amen. Dare to think bigger, praise God. Can you say amen? Yes. All right. You still here? You got time for a little more? Yes. It's almost nine o'clock. Where's the time going when you're having fun? Hallelujah. Just a couple of more verses. Is that okay? Yes. I promise to let you go before morning. Okay. Yes. Now just a few more verses. Psalm 30 verse 5 from the Amplified Bible. From the Amplified Bible. His favor is for a lifetime. Oh, I love that. His favor is on your life for a lifetime. Hallelujah. And if that, if, if his favor is on our lives for a lifetime, then can't we expect for a lifetime all our endeavors to succeed? Yes. Isn't that what the Bible said? Yes. That all your endeavors, all your undertakings be successful. So if his favor is on my life for a lifetime, then I have every right to expect to be successful all of my life. Hallelujah. And then Psalm 89, 17 from the Passion Translation, it says, the glory of your splendor is our strength and your marvelous favor makes us even stronger, lifting us even higher. I love that. Your marvelous favor makes us even stronger and lifting us even higher. Hallelujah. So notice, favor will take you to the next level when you know how to walk in it. Glory to God. Is anybody in here receiving this? Yes. Now, I'll, I'll endeavor to wrap it up with this. I'm not through. I'm just going to stop somewhere. I don't ever get through talking about favor. <clears throat> now, go with me to Psalm 102. Psalm 102. Now, just before I read this verse, um, how many of you have Bibles that many times they'll give you a little, maybe a little synopsis of what that psalm is about or what that chapter's about? Mine does. It'll, it'll have maybe a little subtitle under the psalm and it'll just give a little explanation of what is, the, what is this psalm about. And my Bible said this,
This psalm is a prayer of those whose lives seem to be falling apart. As you read this in Psalm 102, it appears that that's what's happening here. Now, in verse... Well, let me get over to Psalm 102. I'm in Psalm 92. In verse 13, now if you start in verse 1, you read down, and obviously this, this guy's got some trouble, some adversity. And then in verse 13, <clears throat> it says, Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion, for the time to favor her, yea, the set time is come. Now underline that phrase, the set time is come. Thou shalt arise and have favor or mercy upon Zion for the, for the time to favor her, yea, the set time is come. Now Zion here is symbolic of the church, the New Testament church and the body of Christ. So we can take this as a psalm to us and particularly if anybody in here is going through some adversity and it feels like your life is falling apart. And it seems like nothing's working for you. It seems that this set time comes when God's people are under severe attack and in the natural they feel like giving up, but they refuse to do so. And if they refuse to do so, then a set time has been appointed by God for them to experience His favor. And when they experience his favor, then what looked like was going to be a failure, God will turn it into a success. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Is that a word for somebody in here tonight? If you feel like your life has been falling apart and, and none of your endeavors seem to be succeeding, then God says there is a set time for you to experience his favor. And that set time comes when you make the decision that even though in the natural, it looks like I just should throw up my hands and say, I quit, but you refuse to do so, then God says he has set a time for his favor to be outpoured upon you and what looked like to be a failure, he'll turn it into a success. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Glory to God. Look at somebody and say, my set time has come. Amen. If you feel that you've been overwhelmed by adversity and you're just hanging on by a thread, then I got good news for you. If you'll not give up, if you'll not quit, you're about to experience a set time for the favor of God, hallelujah, to come on you and cause what Satan meant for bad to be turned into something good. If you believe it, give the Lord your best shout tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet and give God praise. Thank you once again for listening to World Harvest Church's podcast. 
World Harvest Church is pastored by Pastor Merrick and Linda Hofton in Roswell, Georgia. If you're interested in learning more about us, please visit our website at whcga.com. Like our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel by typing WHCGA into the search bar on both platforms. And we hope you have a blessed week.